Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning into the Big Hunker Podcast. Go to iTunes, leave us some reviews. We love seeing them. And this podcast is brought to you by Die Bomb Industries. If you want dive bombs, you better order them pretty dang if fast. If you want some dive bombs for a spread this this season, 2019-2020 season, you better get on the ball. Go to divebombindustries.com and get what you want and get it in a hurry because guys are ordering a shitload of them. A shitload. Yes. Go to DieBombIndustries.com. They're the best investment that you can make in 2019. Can't beat them. DieBombIndustries.com. We're also brought to you by Boss Shot Shells. Bismuth is back in style. Brandon's changing the game. Everybody's doing Bismuth now because Brandon made it cool again. Boss Shot Shells only takes one. Copper plating they're doing now. All their orders are coming copper plated. Holds a tighter pattern. So Boss Shot Shells only takes one, not having to shoot a whole bunch of them. To, no more crippled birds. That's a big thing. BossShotShells.com, all made in America. Go to them, get what you need for the season. We're also brought to you by Lucky Duck. You can't field hunt without spinners. You need a lot of spinners. LuckyDuck.com, and you can get whatever you need for this coming season. Varmint hunting, dog dog kennel coming out. Got a dog They've also got a new blind. Yes, the two by four blind can hold four people or what Me we're going to do <laughs> when we've got a uh, pain in the ass client that we don't want to sit with. We're just going to say, oh, this blind can only hold two people. Sorry. Collapse it down to two. It's just going to be, I don't know. Me and Blake. Might so I guess the guy that's listening to this at hunts with is like, well, we must be them assholes because we're over here. They're by themselves over there. Well, should have done better that you know should have made a better impression at dinner the night before <laughs> what an ass <laughs> but yeah they can hold two people or four people so if you've got uh if it's just you and a buddy was you don't have a whole lot what of about extra. if it's three fat guys <laughs> i don't know we we got one sitting outside we're gonna have to go put it up and see how many it holds but yeah so they've got blinds they've got dog kennels they got it all they've got it all spinners galore get the waterproof spinners with the remotes you will not regret if that you're gonna field hunt put out at least four to six spinners at least you'll be happy you did it. It's another. It's just like your silhouettes, just like your dive bombs. If you're going to put something out, put out enough that's going to make game changer. Four to six spinners will game changer for you. LuckyDuck.com. This podcast is also brought to you by Seven Thirty Seven Direct to Consumer. No more big box stores. All made in America. Made in Oklahoma. Made in Oklahoma. But blown by this fat guy in Texas. Every duck hunt I blew my call on last year is very successful. So you use the 737 old number one, just like number one does. The three duck hunts that you went on were very good. Went on six of them. We shot at least 30 birds every time but one, and you didn't shoot very good. How would you know? My my kill per average guiding this year was better than yours. I take full credit as being the guide on that last hunt of the season. Hmm. And we would have shot more if y'all had let me call the shot. We couldn't have shot more. We were done on pintails. We had shot more mallards, though. We fucked up one time, but I don't want to bring that up on the air and embarrass you. Yeah. That's 737duckcalls.com. We're also brought to you by Sealot LEDs. Can't beat them. No more reason to be fiddling around in the dark. Light up the sky. See what you're doing. Set up that perfect decoy spread. Because let's face it, when it's dark outside, you don't know what the fuck you're doing. You're just throwing decoys down willy-nilly. Sealotleds.com can alleviate that problem. Stick them on your trailer, stick them on your truck. Stick them on your truck and you can see the the critters in the ditches. Yeah, that's important here in Texas. Sea light LEDs, you, they're, they're the best LED lights that you can get. Big light bars, I'm a fan. 
trust me, after doing it the wrong way for so many years and then finally having some sea lights on my trailer, wish I'd have done it a long time ago. SealightLEDs.com. We're also brought to you by William Chris Vineyards. Texas wine, all grown in Texas. Chris is a great client of ours. Makes a great wine. You can go get them at HEB, Whole Foods, Central Market, all those places. All the, all the hoity-toity places, as you all like to say. All of those places. Um, you know, if you're trying to impress somebody, get a William Chris wine. They will not leave disappointed. You can go to williamchriswines.com, and I believe they'll even ship you the wine. So you don't even have to leave your underwear to get drunk. And this show is also brought to you by Athlon Optics, also a U.S. made. Athlon Optics is a proud U.S. sports optic product company devoted to designing and delivering superior quality optic products and outdoor accessories at a competitive price to you, the consumer. Athlon has strong engineering design capability, strategic alliances with quality manufacturers, and a streamlined, fully integrated supply chain. Whether you're shooting prairie dogs or scouting those geese or ducks the night before, Athlon Optics has a product that you need. So go to athlonoptics.com, get your binoculars, get your scopes. They've also got red dot sights. They got it all. If you need to look through it so you can shoot something or find something, Athlon Optics is the way to go. Last but not least, Stanfield Hunting Outfitters. Home of the Big Honker Lodge and the Big Honker Podcast. We are not far away from hunting season now. Five weeks. Not long at all. Dove season will be here. Party time. Looking forward to it. Stanfieldhunting.com. If you've sent an email recently, our website's under construction, so if you have sent an email recently, you can just call the office. 940-658-3172. Email should what, be fixed. I mean, what, what, do you have any dates, really? I mean, what dates stand out that we can give these people? I've got some dates late November. I've got some... Early All December, midweeks. Any, any weekends? I got a couple of weekends left. Not a bunch. I got great teal hunts though. If you want to shoot, shoot some teal in September, come out here. We can do a dove teal combo. That would be fun. Lots of going should be it should be a great year. I mean, we've got tons of water. We got food. We've got some teal here already. So that's what come out and do a t- teal dove combo in September. Nine four zero six five eight three one seven two. All right. On this episode of the podcast, we're joined by the quail guru himself, Roger Clark. He, uh, he comes by. We're going to talk about how you can make better habitat for your quail. So it's an interesting podcast. We learn, Jeff and I learn a lot of things. We're not really quail hunters, so we really enjoyed this. And uh, anyway, here we go. Roger Clark. Three, two, one. Boom, and welcome to the Big Honker Podcast. I'm Jeff Stanfield. I'm Andy Shaver. And with us today, in person, at the Big Honker Lodge, Mr. Roger Clark, who I would consider probably one of the quail gurus in North Texas. How are you doing, Roger? Oh, good, guys. Uh, glad to be here. Glad to have you again. What was good. it? It was about a year ago, wasn't it? Well, set number 78, I think, was the one I did before. About 100 episodes ago. Yeah. Are we, are we around 200 now? Mm, yeah, we're closing in on 200. 
Okay, Roger. Known you many, many years. You've always been a quail guy. Question I've had from a lot of people. We had a, we had a very wet spring and fall last year. And I'm not seeing a lot of quail. What are the quail numbers doing right now? Well, the quail numbers are actually down from uh, last year. We went through all that drought. At this time last year, Is I had guys, drive, some of my dove hunters, driving out in the stock tanks. It was totally dry. Mm-hmm. And when we have conditions like that, and it's so dry that all of a sudden you don't have the nesting cover out there for those quail. And in, in any given year, if, if you don't have the nesting cover or the screening cover from the uh, raptors or, and or mammalian uh, predators, you're, you're going to lose a, a big percentage, even more so than normal, of your, of your quail. And only 20% are going to make it every year under ideal conditions. 20%. Doesn't matter. Perfect conditions, 20% is going to about. Well, de- depending on the on the condition, so the the less cover there are, the less less carryover you're going to have. So the mortality rate on bobwhite quail is eighty percent. Yes, Oof. that's crazy. I never would have thought that. Wow. Yeah, and you know the biggest predator is going to be your Cooper's hawks and red tail hawks. They're the maybe, worst on maybe, the quail. Maybe sharp shin. Mm-hmm. So really, that that top cover would probably be more beneficial than just that that bottom cover absolutely this and and this is great right now Ed, you've seen all the broomweed that, yes. are, that yeah. are in the pasture well that's ideal cover for them because you think a quail isn't even as big as that water bottle he's only only about that tall right well he can he can just run right through that broomweed but then still have that canopy out that where it's spread out and have that overhead screening cover from those avian uh, predators. So what we we had a wet spring. I mean, a wet fall and a wet spring. Right. But we're not seeing a lot of quail now. What has been? What's happened now? Has it just been the last eight weeks with no rain hardly, or has it been the? I just think there's so much cover you're you're not seeing them. So there are quail right now. A lot I, of them. I think there are. Okay. There really are, and you know, you're if you go out and early in the morning and listen for them that you'll hear uh, 10 for every one that you'll see. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's the best thing to do is listen for that male cock. Well, it's, it's, they're probably the breeding season's over now. But in early spring from, say, early April up through mid-June, you can go out in the morning and listen for those calls. And, in fact, that's one of the things that uh, they do a uh, – on a quail index is they'll go out and do those morning call counts to estimate what the breeding capital is in any any particular pasture so do you, the limit on bob whites is 15 in texas yes do you think that the the, the limits are too high or does it really not matter with 80 percent mortality i i think it think the limits are probably about right i don't i don't think that has a whole whole lot of impact on it particularly because of the mortality on my thing. Well, they'll bounce back real fast, though. Well, yeah. You you think about a, a pair of quail is they're going to have 15 to 18 uh, nests, and that, that's a problem, too, that you're only going to get about 40% of those nests are going to be successful in an average year. But with all the cover we have this year, maybe we'll get a little better percentage than that. So explain how that happens, because that's, that's what I don't understand. So So each pair... We'll make 18 nests. No, no, no. 18 eggs. 18 eggs. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yes. That clears it up then. 
So one, they'll have one nest, right. and all the eggs will be in the basket. That's right. So these programs like CRP and everything, has that helped on the overall population of quail? You're not getting as much tilling of land and everything, or, or has that not well, really been what they were hoping for? Well, it, you know, the CRP is great, but, you know, that, that just depends on, on uh, what grass do they have out there. You know, if they have it all inclined grass, well... That's not very suitable for a uh, for a quail because it's it's not a clump grass that they can make a make a nest bowl in. Okay. Secondly, it gets so thick that the the quail can't navigate to it. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, what's the ideal kind of grasses to plant? Well, that'll be your native grasses. It it'll be like little blue stem, silver blue stem, uh, tabosa. Uh, some of the things that you know you see a lot of out here is uh, cattlemen going in and they'll do everything in coastal. Well, that's a makes a a, a sod, so it's it's really not practical for a, for a quail. But in any of those, uh, even if you if there's some water, like big blue stem or yellow Indian grass, all of those that'll produce a clump that's about the size of a basketball is ideal for nesting cover mm-hmm. do uh you take a if a man set aside a hundred acres of land right. and planted it in the grasses he wanted and put in cover and put in food uh, milo or something i don't i don't know what would be an ideal quail food and had water there could you keep if, if you did that would we have quail year in and year out really heavy numbers or is mother nature going to play havoc every year on us anyways well you know from the scenario you just gave me is 100 acres isn't going to be enough not no no that might be 100 acres might be enough for one or two quail but not not a whole covey is you know to have a sustainable population you probably need a thousand plus acres of uh of contiguous now you know a lot of guys say well i don't have that well what about your neighbor they, you know, the quail doesn't care whether you got a barbed wire fence up there yeah. or not. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, that's, that's really the ideal situation is 1,000-plus acres for for a sustainable population for for the quail. Well, on a good 1,000 acres, how many covey of quail are we talking? Oh, you know, a good number is if you have one bird per acre, it would be a good number. And then, you know, you can divide that by 10. That'll tell you. So a thousand acres of quail, uh, of thousand acres of good continuous cover should hold a thousand birds. That's right. And a good covey of quail is fifteen to twenty birds. Uh, well, that'd be big. I'd say, you know, back around ten to fifteen. So sixty to seventy-five covey of quail in that thousand acres. Right. Well, that seems like it'd be a lot of birds. Sure. That'd be some ideal hunting right there. Sure. Absolutely. And the guys that hunt the quail, and, I, and I've known guys that have different thoughts on this, but they have a covey of fifteen quail, and they go and they bust them up. They don't need to shoot all 15 birds. They need to leave some. Well, they do. You know, is all of a sudden is if they get out there and is they may be shooting Adam and Eve as far <laughs> then uh, that you know that wouldn't be a very good situation for them. That uh, but you know there it's okay to take some. What I do is I get out and is is run my bird dog and uh, you know only take enough to keep him interested. Mm-hmm. If I need some quail, I, I'll go to Benny Keith or to the grocery store. <laughs> And, uh, you know, get get those pin-raised birds. So, We've been doing that recently. Uh, 
we go to HEB, and they've kind of got them there already just right. splayed open and right. throw them on the grill, and they're delicious right. that way. Yeah, well, that's, I mean, that's really ideal rather than, you know, taking the wild birds. But they, and then you don't have the sport of it either. Yeah, but. You I know, mean, that's kind of like <laughs> you go buy geese, you right. know, and a little different. Mm. So I've never eaten wild quail that I can think of. How does the taste compare? Between the store bought and the wild, I, I can't tell you. I, I have no idea. I'm assuming they're probably pretty probably close. Pretty to close. Same. Yeah, I would think so. I would think a quail or a pheasant you buy in a store is going to be close to wild. Like where a duck or goose probably is a lot fatter that you buy in a store. Well, but compared right. to a wild, bird. we had a. I had a goose. Well, uh, it was at uh, a fondue place. We, my wife and I went on a date. Went to this place. I ordered the duck, Ugh. and it was almost like a red meat. And it's not at all like the duck that I have shot, but right. I, it's just probably because they don't fly as much, and the 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 meat is not as rich and gamey as uh, a wild duck. So, right. But if, I don't know if Roger, if you invited me over to dinner and we had quail, I'd be excited. <laughs> if you invited me over and we had duck or goose, I wouldn't be very excited. Yeah, well, right I fixed Himalayan possum the other night. The hell that? is that? Is that <laughs> guinea pig? No, it is this possum. I found him laying on the highway. No shit, you did not. <laughs> Himalayan. 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 Yeah, okay, I got you now. Yeah. <laughs> I was thinking, what the hell did you cook? Because <laughs> you can buy about anything nowadays. Yeah, that's right. Himalayan. Yeah, no shit, right, right there. Himalayan, Himalayan right on the yellow stripe. So the guys, <laughs> the guys that have quail and they're doing stuff to get them back together, out of a covey of 15, how many should they harvest in a year, you think? Well, that's... Uh, you know, they it it depends on the on the birds. The uh, if they're if they're all uh, mature birds, uh, all of a sudden is you know you can take half of them. That, that isn't a problem. But the big thing is to when you're hunting, one thing that you can do is if you'll age the quail, that'll tell you what what we're going to be into. For instance, this year. I would expect if you go out and you get your bag of 15 that you would expect about 75% of them to be juveniles. Mm-hmm. And the rest would be adults or carryover from last year. How do you tell? Is it the pen fe- is it the feathers or how how do you age a quail? Well, on the uh on the coverts on a uh, juvenile the tips of the uh, uh covert feathers will, will have a buff color. To and that's the feet feathers. No, no, no. That's uh, the wing coverts. Okay, I don't know what that is. So, well, the uh, you have your primary flat feathers. Uh-huh. The coverts are the next layer of, of feathers on okay. top okay. of that. Okay. okay. Right. And the tips of those will be a light buff colored if they're a juvenile or this year's crop. Okay. Whereas anything other than that's going to be at, at least over a year old. Now, how old's a quail? Don't, quail don't live a long time on average, do they? Uh, no, not really. They like to say, you know, we only have maybe twenty uh, percent carryover from one year to the next. And I think the uh, at the Quail Research Ranch, they 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 ban those things out there, and they've had one or two that have lived up to five years. So that that's really pretty good. That's the old fellow then. If, if twenty if twenty percent is a carryover from one to two, I wonder what the carryover from two to three is. Uh, I don't. It's got to drop substantially. Oh yeah, I don't know, but then all of a sudden, you know, that pair is they're they're producing say forty to fifty percent of twelve to fifteen offspring. So all of a sudden, that you could have a a boom mm-hmm. 
in that in that population if the conditions are right so so when you see a covey of quail you're basically that's a family that's right and that's a mom and a dad and how many broods they have in a year uh, if they're called broods i don't know what they're called well yeah they uh, brood or covey and uh essentially yeah that's, that sounds about right and, and now will they have two and three nests in a year probably not if they if they have a successful nesting that'll that'll probably be it uh, if that first nest if a coon or skunk or something gets in it and eats the eggs then that female that hen will come back and, and try another nest perhaps up to three times depending on uh owner's success do the uh but now dove will do three nests in a year on a good year, uh, I don't know. I think I think they do, and that's right. where I was getting confused. I was thinking the quail did it. So, no. but two quail can go to twelve quail or fifteen quail in one season. That's right, and that's pretty. That's not that unusual then. Well, that's right. Provided they, you know, you have good nesting cover, then, uh, you know, and a lot of it is uh, con- consider if there's a bunch of grass out there and you only have one of those per acre. Well, you. That's a target for any coyote or yeah. co- or coon or something to get into into that nest. So the more of those you have across your place, the more options that uh, I call it camouflage for the nest. It, the mam- mammalian predators won't be able to find that nest as easily. So when uh, so say they've they've got their eggs and a, and a raccoon comes through and wrecks it. Right how late into the spring will she try again is there a certain cutoff point to where she just says we can't do this again well just uh last week i, I saw some uh, little chicks that were about this big uh-huh. right so they're only maybe a week or two weeks old oh wow and what's the how long will they incubate for uh, the the whole well about 28 days 28 days mm-hmm. from the time she lays them to hatching right. 28 right. days and and she'll lay them one a day but but uh, amazingly they all all hatch at the same time <laughs> that's, that's crazy. crazy that's amazing yeah that that is so some of them are getting incubated for 35 days and some of them are 28 or some getting incubated for 16 days yes okay that's what so some of them don't have to have be incubated as much that's right that it's that last one. I don't know whether that'll be a runt or. That's what I was wondering <laughs> myself. If it's going to be a runt or what? <laughs> that, that is an ama- amazing deal. What What about some of these devices? Because quail hunting is the last gentleman sport we have left in our country. Because right. they don't fox right. hunt much more. So right. the quail hunting, and so guys want to try new things to help them. I've seen them where they have these hen houses. I guess you'd call them where they go put them out and they put brush on them. And do those work worth the shit? Where they keep the predators out or? Well, that, that might work for some pen-raised birds that have been released that I call it a, like a Johnny house. And, you know, I took that approach oh, before I, I took the Quail Masters course. And I put out a bunch of, uh, uh, they were called Covey Base Camps. They looked like R2-D2. And they were designed to hold a five-gallon bucket of Milo. Plus it had three gallons of water with little lick nipples underneath. And, and it was up off the ground about six inches so quail could get up under there and peck at that milo and have water and have cover while they're in in there well i thought well gosh this is this is perfect thing for for my quail but i uh kept finding that i was going out and putting out feed but 
uh, I wasn't wasn't having big increase in quail numbers, so I put a game camera on it, and on like in a month's time, I had like four thousand pictures on my game camera, and I went through there. And what was happening is the coons were getting in there at, at night mm. and messing with the the uh, feed. Then the turkey had come by in the morning and clean all that up. And <laughs> out of 4,000 pictures, I got <laughs> zero quail. So basically it was just a regular feeder is what it turned out to be. Well, that's right. That's right. And and then the the hogs came in and, you know, they, they just flip everything over. It's, it's a whole new dynamic for for out in the out in the field, Qu- the, the the wild hog has disturbed Mother Nature. Yes, it's completely upside down the whole system that we have that's been in place for years. Right, and I don't think there's an answer for it. Well, I don't. I, I really don't. The, you know, uh, from being in the counting business, guys, uh, it's about 25 years ago. The hog market crashed. At the same time, the corn prices were high. And all, all my hog uh, farmers couldn't couldn't make the conversion. They just opened the gates, let them out. So all of a sudden, all those domestic hogs, and you know, I saw that with a half dozen of, of my farmer clients, is those hogs mated with the wild hogs that were out there. So all of a sudden, it, you know, they just just made the problem worse at that point in time. You know, you say that about 25 years ago, I would notice when I would see wild pigs, I would see a lot of white pigs and spotted pigs, and they didn't look real far off from being domestic pigs. Well, they probably weren't. Right. And nowadays, you don't see much of that. They've bred that out of them. You still see some silver ones and some spotted, but most of the times, they're, they, they're looking more Russian all the time. Right. And it's, they've bred all that out of them. But the, 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 the pigs have damn sure, wild hogs have changed the whole apple cart when it comes to Mother Nature. Well, yeah, I think it's had an impact on just virtually everything that's that's on the ground. Yep, including rattlesnakes. Well, I that's not a problem though. No, not really. I don't. I don't like snakes. Do you think no. that I've heard that pigs will eat rattlesnakes? Do you, have you have you heard the same thing? Yes. Yeah. Well, you. Um, uh, I've heard that. I'm, I don't have any proof or right. evidence of it. So, but apparently they can. You know they they'll eat them and if they can find them, because they're saying the rattlesnakes don't rattle like they used to twenty years ago, and, and they're saying that it's the pigs they they rattle and it's just a feed feed call to the pigs. I don't uh, know whether that's the no. truth or not. <laughs> yeah, I think that yeah that's something that floated around the internet somewhere. <laughs> I haven't I, seen I, a rattlesnake in a long time that rattled until I messed with it though. Right, and a long time ago you'd hear them rattling and shit. Right. I don't know. I'm going to tell you what. If we could get rid of mosquitoes, red ants, and rattlesnakes, the world would be a lot better place. Wait, red ants? Yes. Which red ants? Any ant. The oh. big, big one. I haven't had reason. For, okay. No, no, how no, about, no. How about, I, uh, I think you, you're, you're misguided on the on the big red ants. Is red ant good for beneficial for no. Mother Nature? Well, I'll, I'll tell you why. Is That makes up 80% of the diet of the Texas horned lizard. I don't see very many of them no more either. That's uh, because you've been eradicating the <laughs> I don't have <laughs> You know, if, if we go in and clean out your fridge and you, you don't have anything to eat in there, you're not going to stick around very long, Jeff. No, that's right. So I, I did not know that. Yes. And, but I'm seeing a huge increase now on the fire ants that we used to not have out here. 
Well, that's a, that's a, the issue that the fire ants, the red imported fire ants, uh, are a competitor with the harvester ants. Is that Wait, the red ant? Is that a harvester ant? Yes. The big, okay. big one? That's yeah, a that's a big one. The only thing the, the mm-hmm. harvester ant eats is really just uh, grass and uh, weed seed. I see a lot of them, in, uh, they're around my compound at, in, uh, in downtown Stanford. There's one bed, and they're just making a beeline where there's some uh, pigweed growing back there. And that's what they're after is a pigweed seed. And that's what the horny toad do, goes by. And they eat on the red ants. And, and 80% of their diet is, is those. And they'll eat termites or any other small small grasshoppers or something. I have a very intelligent friend of mine, a guy that's very intelligent, and he does not believe that horny toads exist because he's never seen one. That's ignorant. It's Matt Reagan. What? Yeah. We've got horny toads out here. He's never seen one. He told me, I think that's a just a mythical creature. He said, oh I've never seen one anywhere goodness. I've ever been. And Matt's a smart, smart man, but he's never really? seen one everywhere. And I don't. I couldn't take you nowhere to show you one right now, but I'll see one every once in a while. Right. But I don't see them like I used to. Right. Well, you know, I had a buddy that uh, he moved to uh, Irving from Indianapolis and the one day he <coughs> he saw an armadillo <laughs> and he went back to the office and he was he just knew that armadillos went extinct with the dinosaurs <laughs> <laughs> and, and uh, he went back and he's bragging to his boss he said man I saw an armadillo I thought those were extinct <laughs> And his boss said, really? You'd really see that? And they carried him high. And then he actually found out that, you know, they're everywhere down here. But You don't see them all the time, but they're dead on the side of the road. Yes. They make more noise in the woods than anything in the world. You'd think of damn elks walking through the woods when yes, they come Yes, they there. make a lot of racket out there. Yes, they do. I thought somebody was about to kidnap me. I was turkey hunting one day, and I was being real quiet and stealthy and... That son of a bitch, he had to have been right underneath my feet when he took off. Right. And I about shit my shorts. Yes. <laughs> it was a, it was about to be serious. Yes. But thankfully, it was just the old uh, armadillo. And I didn't know until recently, and because and, I've never been around it much, I didn't realize porcupines cl- climb trees. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't know that. Yeah. We, we were in Oklahoma one time, and Tony saw one. He goes, oh, there's a porcupine. I'm going to go up there and get a good picture of it. I was like, boy, I hope this somebody jumps on him. Boy, this would be some good video right here. Yeah. <laughs> and it turned out to be a uh, big beehive that was in a tree. But I was like, well, he said, oh, yeah. He said, one of our neighbors over here, they get in his mesquite tree all the time around his dogs. Really? But I, I've been seeing more porcupines the last couple of years. Okay. And I don't know why they're here. Not. I don't know. So the way, so the the pig boom was because the bottom collapsed and farmers said, to hell with it, just turn them loose. That, that exasperated. I mean, that just uh, magnified the problem we already had. I'll be damned. We we might be be where we are, but I'm I'm thinking right. that that had a big impact on uh, because you know think about thirty years ago we didn't see any hogs. No. And you know what what caused them to explode? Well, that I think I have part of the answer. When when I first came out here, I would see a dead pig on the road every once in a while, but never seen him anywhere else. Right, and I thought it was kind of like Matt with the horny toad. I thought it's a mm-hmm. mythical creature because they'd only move at nighttime. You didn't see them much. Well, now you see them all the time. Right, but I, there's an interesting book out called The Elevator Man. Have you read that book? No, it's about Bobby Johnson. Do you remember who he was? No, he was a um, grain broker from Owl Park, Texas, and he screwed a bunch of guys out of a lot of money. Is what he did, and he had empty grain elevators everywhere that had all their grain in it, and he was selling, it and nobody knew it. 
But he went down to the Gulf of Mexico, and he was, went fishing, and he fell overboard, and he drowned. Well, right. seven years later, he got pulled over in Iowa or somewhere. But it's called The Elevator <laughs> Man, and it's an, actually a book. And I, I've got a copy of it. My mother-in-law has it now, but I'm going to get it for you to read. But it's a very interesting book. But he bought the Spike Box Ranch okay. in the early, early 80s, late 70s maybe. Right. And he had a bunch of sire grain that he needed to unload from his deal. And he took 18-wheeler loads of old sire grain out there and left out there somewhere. And he he bought like 100 pigs somewhere and just turned them loose out there. And that's one reason that, that, really, that area over there really started off with the pigs. Right. And he just let them go. Right. And I got to imagine it's just pigs will just wreck a covey, a little nest of, nest of quail. Well, if they if they can find it, that, uh, you know, certainly they're going to eat those eggs and uh, just... Well, just, just if they if they find the nest. Well, and I just figure just running through, knocking it and disturbing it, and probably not not so much. I, right. Not any, not any more than deer or cattle uh, out there. I, I would would think not not the just a hoof action isn't going to be it. It's if they can, right? You know the the pigs can really have a strong sense of smell. If they can smell anything in there or find that nest like that, that that'll be when they, not not really their hoof action. Could you have cattle on a on a piece of quail property? Oh yeah, you could. Yeah, is uh, we we have old uh, Ross Short leases our place for for his cattle and cattle and quail are are quite compatible. Oh, okay, I just didn't know with the, like like you were saying like the walking around how much hoof action was gonna disturb nests and stuff like that. Well, the probability of them stepping on a nest is pretty small. Yeah, quail are on the bottom of the food chain, boy. <laughs> they really are. They're well, it, you know, I mean, everything that is either, you know, from the air or on the ground is looking to eat them. Yep. Are are the the crickets and the on the grasshoppers? Those are good for the quail, right? Well, uh, particularly for the the small ones up up until they're uh, pretty much an adult bird, they'll exist totally on insects. I've heard the same about turkeys. I don't know little, about that. Little turkeys, Pro- if if you've got a lot of grasshoppers and stuff. Well, yeah, I, I would think that that would probably be true because it it has all the protein and fat that they need, and the uh, and they're high water content. Mm-hmm. Like quail, if if you have no free water, no standing water, they can do just fine because they get get virtually everything they need from the food that they eat, whether it be greens or or the insects. I've wondered that too. And that, that makes a lot of sense now. Because you see this property and you're thinking, where are they going to drink? Right. But it's from the food that they eat. That's right. That's right. Oh, um, uh, there's a fellow over in Aspermont on his ranch. And he has, uh, I guess, maybe 4,000 acres over there. He doesn't have any stock ponds at all. And it's it's all bunch grass and, um, uh, you know, like... Uh, Milo or Milo or you know any kind of those food grains, and he 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 just contends. Well, I don't I don't need that. You know, if you have the surface water, that attracts the skunks and the right. possums. Makes yeah. sense. And the coons, and they need that. They have to have that. Whereas he doesn't have any of that. So all of a sudden, it's just he concentrates on the quail, and not not those those meso uh, predators. You, huh. What's the hardest thing on the quail and their eggs? Is it would it be a snake or a coon? What what animal's the worst thing for them when oh. they're on the nest for the actual oh. eggs? For the eggs, yes. 
wide. You know, the snakes, uh, coons. I saw a, a short video the other day. They, usually if you find a nest that's been destroyed, you can look at the eggs and kind of tell what, what's happened to them. But I saw a video of some crows picking up a whole egg and, and hooking with it. And that normally would be an indication of a snake that would swallow those eggs whole rather than eating them there in the nest. But I'd say, you know, more than likely the coons and the skunks are going to going to get the majority of the nests that are that don't make it. Well, raccoons are damn pain in the ass too. Yeah, they are. Yeah. I mean, even on like just our feeders and stuff for deer. Right. Ra- we constantly battle raccoons. Right. They're always spinning the thing. They're pulling the mechanism out. It's right. just a nightmare. Imagine what a bear must be like. Can't be any worse than a raccoon. Raccoons have fingers, so. Yeah. Uh, so so if you can get a piece of property that doesn't have any groundwater, you can eliminate some of those problems with the skunks and the coons. and, and Or cut them way down at least. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I try. Yeah. Yeah. You know, provided you have the greens and the and the good nesting cover in the place that for quail, they, they don't need that. I'll be damned. So when will, so let's say we've got our 20% carryover. So let's say we have four birds carrying over from one to two. When will they branch off and go do their own thing well about the first of april you you'll hear the males start start to whistle okay uh-huh. and that's hey i'm over here you know girls come on and and so anywhere from oh the first of april up through like i say the end of end of uh, july is they're going to be mating and, and making those nests so those those chicks that are now one year old the four of them right when they'll go off and they'll start so they'll, so the family group will disperse well that's right and those those four will, will be looking for uh other other chicks to and they'll they'll combine uh from from other coveys uh, uh like you know cousins or second mm-hmm. cousins and and they'll get together and that's that it's good for the species good for the genetics do do can quail and pheasant exist together real well is there any places that have both well i don't i I don't i can't answer that question i don't know because i know here we don't have any pheasants at all that are wild right and i don't know why but the places i know that have them don't have a lot of quail right i don't know i was wondering if that because a pheasant's a pretty violent bird they do a lot of fighting and stuff right um i don't know that but it, it might just be incompatible as far as it might be the pheasant might be territorial and taking the quail out. That could be it very easily. And, and what about the blue quail and the bobwhites? Uh, they they pretty well coexist without any problem. They they have some uh, uh, both have down at the quail research ranch and around Stanford. I don't I don't have any blue quail anymore. They all disappeared uh, about 1989 between Thanksgiving and Christmas. That was the last time you saw them. Yeah. You shoot them. No. No. They no, just disappeared. They just <laughs> <laughs> Not on a frying pan. They just disappeared then. They just disappeared. <laughs> and, you know, uh, amazingly, I think that's when when the, the geese started coming into this area. Mm-hmm. And they, they might have had some kind of disease that was susceptible to the, to the blue quails. Because, I mean, it, it happened just through this whole area. 
I used to see a lot of blue quail up around Gillen in northern part of the county. Right. And that was in the 80s. The, right. That laid a bunch of blue quail. Right. And I don't think you can find one up there anymore no, either. No, that's what I'm saying is, you know, in this whole area, the the blue quail are, are pretty much, uh, you know, you'll start picking them up over in Stonewall County and, and that, that and from there west, but not any to the east of it. And those birds like to run more than fly, right? Yeah, that's right. That's that's exactly right. I hunted uh, up at the Spike Box, and uh, it was mid '80s. And gosh, we we walked. There was maybe a dozen hunters. We walked through one pasture, and it opened up onto a wheat field. I bet there were five thousand blue quail, and they were just moving like a, a group of starlings or blackbirds doing mm-hmm. that. They, it just looked like water out there. That's amazing wow. right there. Not a lot of people see that. Yeah. Was so, that in that old scalded ground up there? Well, it, it, what it was is the, uh, they had had wheat pasture on the on the tops. Then they had those cedar breaks. Mm-hmm. And uh, they'd get the quail would get down those cedar breaks, and we'd walk them out of there. But then they finally, under that hunting pressure, they just kind of grouped up in that pasture. And then when we went through the pasture, that's when they got out in the in the field. Now they're a bigger bird than a bobwhat, right? A little bit, yes. They taste the same, though. Yeah, pretty much. And then, uh, so, so they're these blue quail are just running right in front of you. How do you finally get them to jump up to where you can get a shot? <laughs> that's a trick. That's a trick. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's not easy. What do, what we would do is uh, on the spike box up there, we'd we'd walk out those. Uh, uh, cedar breaks that open up to the to the wheat field and the young guys were, were all down here and you'd see see them running out there 50 yards in front of you and and finally we'd we'd walk up the draw and the old guys were sitting on the tailgate of the pickup <laughs> the guys <laughs> with wisdom well I, I figured out we were just damn dogs that's right that's all we were doing we we're just driving the the uh the beast to the hunters that's right that must have been north of highway 82 on that north side over there i i don't i, I don't bet it was probably on that north flat and south flat over there so you would yeah. drive them to to the guys that were sitting yes on the tailgates that's right and then they got there and then that's well, I tried. They'd flush, and you know, they'd fly. Try to fly over those that line mm-hmm. of pickups up there, and then they'd just pop them out of there. That's insane. Yeah, that's awesome. So, can you do it with dogs like you do the the bob whites? I think you could, except that the dogs are, you know, they those blues are just going to run the run the dog to death. I just don't know how you'd ever shoot a blue. Well. They, you need to be sitting on that pickup. <laughs> I, I can tell you how you do it because I know some guys that go mule deer hunting out in West Texas, and that's what they do is they corn the roads for the mules or right. for, the, for the blue quail. So while the middle of the morning, while everybody goes hunting in the morning and the afternoon and the middle of the day, when the old guys sleep, the younger guys, they corn the roads over there, and then they take a rhino or a pickup, and they run, and they shoot them off the freaking road while oh, they're running. Yeah. They, don't, well, they don't try to shoot them in the air because they know they're not going to get on them. Yeah. Right? Well, I bet that's right. And that's the guys I know that do it, and they, that's the only way they can kill them. Yeah. You know, there'll be six or eight of them here, and he says, if you get up with your guns, try to walk up on them, he said, shit, you look they'll up, and you're a half mile away. They'll run you to death. Yeah. Run the dog to death. Yeah. That's right. And, they went, and I'm assuming the scaled quail out in California is probably the gambles, and all them are probably about the same as the blue. 
Well, that is a blue. A scaled, a scaled quail. is a blue? Yeah. Now, gamble's a different species, right? Well, that's right. Um, I saw some of those gamble in, when I went out to the, uh, it's called the Circle Ranch at Van Horn. Uh-huh. And that's what they had. They had a mix of the blues and the gambles out there. Are the gambles a bigger bird or about the same? About the, about the same as a blue. Were they runners also? Yeah. Yeah, they were. And will they all, if you were to reintroduce blues to this area, do you yeah. think that they would make it? Do they run off of the same kind of ecosystem, the same grasses are good for the blues as they are for the bobwhites? Well, they they are. Uh, up here is right now at Jerry Bob Daniels' place. Where is that? At Truscott? Yeah, yeah, north of Not Benjamin, between Benjamin and Truscott. Is there uh, the... Um, uh, they're uh, well. I'm not sure of the organization, but they're doing a uh, a transplant up there. They've they've captured some some wild blue quail out around Fort Stockton and from ranchers that have been willing to do that. And they've banded those uh, not banded but uh, radio collared the hens, and they've they've released them up there on on his place. And uh, to as a pilot program on to see how successful they can be on reintroduction of those those blues. No, I wonder how they're doing then. Well, I, I think they're doing okay. I, I, as I mentioned earlier, that there's going to be that quail statewide quail symposium uh, Thursday, you know, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday over in Abilene, and hopefully we'll we'll hear some more information about that program. Do, will a blue and a bobwhite crossbreed? Yes, is um, there's a fellow uh, Jack Whitten that lives uh, down on uh, Violet Fraser's place at Lake Stanford. He has a mount of a blob. That's what they're called, <laughs> a blobs. Blob. A blob. I bet that's a trophy. Yeah, and uh, he's real proud of it. And I, I mean, it's just just a weird looking, weird looking critter. The cross between a cannon and a speck we got mounted in here. Same thing. Yeah. But yeah. water, bird hunters, they love stuff like that because that is a trophy and a half. Yeah, absolutely. A blob. I've never seen one. I'm going to have to look that up tonight. Yeah. I wonder what it would look like. Well, I'm thinking it, it uh, you know, I had the top knot of a, uh-huh. a regular blue, but then on, on the bottom was the uh, uh, kind of the speckled coloration that you'd have on a bobwhite. Hmm. Okay, now, we need a little bit of history, Roger, since you're a little bit over 40 years old. <laughs> what? what when, when did you first get introduced to quail hunting? I, I guess quail, I've been, been doing that all my life. And, uh, you know, I'd, I'd say, you know, when I was a teenager, is I got introduced to uh, dove and quail hunting at, at that time. So in the 60s? Right. Did, did you notice, have things changed a lot in the bird hunting compared to back then, compared to today? Well, I don't know. Like the... Back then, the farmers didn't farm fence to fence, did they? Well, back then they they didn't have Roundup. I mean, now they then go in and just kill that that turn row, and that's that's had a had a big impact on you know that used to be ideal uh, nesting and and you know uh, screening cover from predators for for the quail, and uh, but. Yeah. You know, that's that's the biggest change that I've seen. That's what Dad talks about in southeast Kansas. used to be a big quail country where he's at. Right. And he said his, his deer, his quail, at least when he was a kid growing up, was a 1,000 miles and 8 foot of pross, every county road, you know, the right. ditches. And, right. But you don't see that no more. And like you said, they, they round up everything now. Sure. 
Sure. Well, yeah, I mean, all of a sudden you take that vegetation out, um, it comes back to not only does it affect the quail, but also the, I mentioned the harvest of ants. You mm-hmm. know, you, you kill the, the grass seed, and that's what the, the harvester ants eat is, is seed. So that has an impact on, you know, they, they're taking care of the quail in addition to probably the horny toads. It's such a fine line that we walk with everything that we do. Sure. Because, you know, you want farmers to be successful in everything, but at the same time, you know, how much do you sacrifice a turn row, like you said? Well, I mean, you know, they're... I would call that vanity on that turn row. Right. You know, I, you know, personally, I'd, I like to see it grown up and, uh, you know, it keeps sand from blowing up here and, uh, you know, it makes good, good, it's good for wildlife. Yeah. We, we've, we've left some big footprints now that we used to not leave years and years ago. Right. And the more you've talked about the, the red ants, the more that I don't see red ants no more like we used to. And I'm not going around killing them everywhere. We just no. don't have them like we used to. Right. When I was a kid, there was red ants everywhere. Right. And there was horny toads everywhere. Right. And it makes lots of sense now. They go hand in hand. Yeah. I never. And I mean, everything is just in perfect balance with one another. You know, you get too much of one thing and that's going to lead you to not have very many of, of another. And then the, the tides turn. I, th- I remember it's funny because with this drought, and I've talked about this on the podcast, our turkey numbers I'm a big turkey hunter in the spring. Turkey numbers just took a dump, took a nosedive with the drought. Well, I've noticed that the predator population has also gone way down. And now right. the turkey numbers are coming back up. Those predators are not far behind them. So everything just works in perfect harmony together. And when you start messing with things, I don't know, it's a dangerous game that you play. Yeah, I have, uh, you know, not buddies per se, but acquaintances is they have a big big deal on getting out when and they say you know we're, we're going to do a predator hunt you know primarily bobcats and coyotes right i say well <laughs> they approach me i said well bullshit i like those <laughs> <laughs> you know they and well why why do you like those i said well the reason is that those guys will probably take out the the coons and the skunks and and those predators that are that are getting a nest yeah. more more so than than the actual quail. Right. So, uh, in in fact, at the Quail Research Ranch, they had a graduate student went around collecting coyote scat from the roads, collect thousands of samples, and what they do is take and put that in pantyhose, and they they bought a washing machine and they'd wash those pantyhose. Then this graduate student would analyze that scat and what that coat's been eating. And they found very few instances that coyotes were eating bobwhite. So it was mostly more small varmints. Uh, they rabbits, uh, rabbits, rats, uh, coons. I mean, all all the bigger bigger uh, uh, animals out there. Makes tons of sense. Yeah, I mean, it really does. I just never thought of it that way. No. By the way, they have a washing machine they want to sell? No. <laughs> <laughs> Could you imagine? You got your, That's your job. Uh, what do you do? What's your job? Well, I, I go around and I, I collect uh, coyote shit. And then and I, wash it. And then I run it through a washing machine. <laughs> after you put See, it in pantyhose. After, after yeah. I sample it in pantyhose. Well, it'd be like uh, I ran across a guy. He was a, a pigeon trapper. And I thought, I, that can't be fun now. Mm. No. 
Those pigeons. Pigeons are everywhere now. Yeah. I've been loving it. That's a big business now, those pigeon shoots. Really? Yeah. They got the planes where they've got them around them elevators. Guys pay big money to go shoot them because they can shoot all they want to. There's no limits on them and stuff. Well, I try. And they get out of hand. Sure. We've got about 30 of them in Knox City on the awesomes I see all the time. That's the only ones we got around here. Yeah. Well, you're I'm probably seeing those Eurasian dove also. No, we got a lot of those. Yeah. Well, there there's no limit on those either. No. Did you know that they will uh, kill? They'll, they'll they'll rob eggs from other birds. No. And kill them. Yeah. No. Or break mm. the eggs and stuff. They're pretty detrimental. Really. Yeah. They're real bad about that. Is they're that, a very aggressive bird. Is that why there's no limit, or why is there no limit on them? Because they just go and go and go and go and go and go. They 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 do all the time. They're real bad about that. They started out, I think, on an island in Florida where a guy brought those from Africa somewhere and put them well, on. I think it was with like around Cuba or. or was that where I it was? Mean, yeah, they, they actually, you know, were uh, uh, like pets yep. and they escaped. And they only move like eight miles a year, is, there, is there how far their distance is. They never fly more than eight miles. I live within eight really? miles of a circle. And they have three, four, five nests a year because, hell, they live here. I mean, they just go and go and go. Right. We didn't have them here 15 years ago. No. And you know now we got white wings and we've got those, but right. now there's places you have these. They're just they're everywhere now. Right, and well, that's something that's new. But you know what? We come out good on that. We got the Eurasian dove. Southern Louisiana got the Nutra rat. Same uh, type yeah. of deal. I yeah. think I'd rather have the the Eurasian I'd, I'd dove. R- I'd rather deal with the doves. Well, Roger, I appreciate you being on here. It's well, been no, very hold, interesting. Hold you got more we, to go? Well, yeah. Okay. You, um, I want to get I want to get some of your takes on the recent events around the world. We've got these. Uh, Got the mass shootings and everything, and Trump is now proposing uh, a little bit of a background check. What What do you think? Oh, I think because I, I noticed that uh, you got a sidearm on your hip. I do. So strong Second Amendment, I'm assuming, which is uh, absolutely all of us are, are pro Second Amendments. What do you think about some? more regulations as far as mental health before these people can go out and buy i, I a took a took a photo uh, of the sign the placard in in the walmart window and and it it said uh more or less that uh the only gun in that's prohibited is a long rifle you can carry your sidearm concealed or exposed either one mm-hmm. and i'm thinking well how did that guy in El Paso, he, he just ignored that sign. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he did. He was a lawless son of a bitch, wasn't he? Yeah. And, and so all of a sudden, I, I mean, I, I think we're, they're talking about some of these red flags. And, you know, but the question is, who's going who's gonna to make that determination on, you know, who's not mentally stable enough to, right. for a, a weapon? And that, that's always a big problem. That's but a tough, it's a tough issue. Yeah, but, uh, you know, more bright, I mean, a heavier background, I'd, I'd be favorable to that, provided they'll leave some of the other stuff alone. Do you, I'm shocked that you can go to a Walmart in Texas or to a, any grocery store, a box store, whatever it is, and not have someone in there or in the parking lot with a freaking gun. That just shocks the shit out of me. I don't know why a manager wouldn't. At least concealed carry. Uh, well, I don't. <laughs> Big store policy, probably. Well, I don't. I don't know what the policy is. I haven't. You know, I know Michael Steele. He's he runs a Stanford Walmart. He may have have a yeah. uh, a concealed. I haven't seen it openly carried. Right. But, but I mean, if if I was working at a Walmart or a convenience store or anything like that, where money's changing hands, lots of and you know. 
this guy wasn't out for money, but just no. your average guy that's going to roll your roll your store. But, I would have somebody there that had a gun, but all times. Can, can you think of a time? You can't go to Stanford Walmart right now, and there isn't somebody in there that don't have a gun on them, or there's not somebody in the parking lot that doesn't have a gun on uh, them. I, I think you're right. That's that's true today. And that just shocked me that in El Paso, either there was a bunch of pussies sitting in their car that didn't want to get involved. Or they're just, and my only thinking on that is there's a bunch of Mexican Americans or Mexican nationals, whatever they call them, Mexican nationals, and they can't have a gun because they're crossing the border back and forth. Right. Or there was a bunch of illegals there, and they don't have guns, most of them, I guess. Right. And the people out there just don't carry guns because that's all I can figure out because I can't think of a Walmart anywhere else in Texas that you're not going to run into somebody either inside or outside that has a gun. Yeah. Because he shot his way into that store, shot the store up, and then shot his way out. Yeah. Uh, I mean, and that that could be that uh, a friend of mine is he went on a company trip down to one of those uh, like Puerto Vallarta and and one of the people in that group uh, I'd call him dumbass had a, a pistol <laughs> in his in his luggage. No way. And uh, you know it passed through uh, going. Mm. He got there with it and. And he thought, well, that, that worked okay. I'll go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, go in the other direction. I know how this is going to go. <laughs> yeah, well, is they caught him. And, oh, uh, no. I mean, straight to jail. And it wound up costing him $35,000 to get out of out of jail. And probably and, a lot of miserable nights. Holy Yeah, cow. it took him like two weeks. Mm. And so all of a sudden is. Anybody in Mexico, they're going to have the same issues with with carrying, uh, you know, a sidearm. That isn't going to happen. Now, unless you're a drug cartel member and you're up to no good anyways, you don't have That's a right. gun over there. That's right. So what do you think about the guy in Missouri that had the long rifle? And he was in the Walmart, but he was just there because, by God, he's got a right to open carry a long rifle. Well, I just told you about the sign says... And he violated Walmart's policy. Well, no, he, he he in Missouri you can open carry, you can you can. No, do I'm th- I'm saying that sign is probably in every every Walmart in the country. It said no long rifles. It said it said you can carry a pistol, but you can't have a long rifle. That's right. For for the gentleman in Missouri. No, for Stanford Walmart. He oh, sent you a picture oh, okay, of it. Right, yeah. right, right, right. So he says it's probably in every Walmart. Probably a company. Well, I don't know store if that's. Deal. I guess this guy walked around. The the article that I read has said this guy had the. He didn't shoot the place, but he was a, a pro Second Amendment guy, and by God, he's got a right to carry. Well, and I'm thinking and I the, picked up on this, and there was an off-duty uh, firefighter, firefighter yes. that, and held, that him. held him, and he might have prevented that guy from shooting. We don't know that. Right. The guy says he was just doing his Second Amendment rights, and now they're wanting to file charges on the fireman for pulling a gun on the guy. I say the fireman's a hero. I think it, think the fireman is a hero. Yeah, I do too. Because I mean, you can't hide behind that Second Amendment. No. That was a dumbass. If you go and wear body armor and shit, and you take a rifle into a Walmart after the shit that just happened in El Paso, you're lucky somebody didn't take a Louisville Slugger upside his head or shoot him right there. Right. Because if my family would have been in there on the other end of that aisle and I would have seen him doing that, I might have shot him. Because I and I would have said, you know what? I'd rather me be in trouble than my kids and grandkids get killed. Well, I, I, I live by, um, uh, you know, doing taxes all these years. I've been a real aggressive accountant, and I always like to make the statement, I'd much rather ask for forgiveness than permission. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah. And, and that's exactly the case with that Second Amendment. Yep. Just shoot the son of a bitch. And, that's right. And then just say, Have a hard time proving that he was there just to, practice, to exercise his Second that, Amendment rights. That's right. Unless he, he's made lips. That, that's true. But still, I'd be like, as a jury, I would say, well, the dumb son of a bitch shouldn't have done, done that crap. Yeah. Especially after what just happened, right? Yeah, not you know. even a, not even a week later, you go to another Walmart and your tactical gear and your rifle, and just because you think that you can, I mean, you got to use some common sense. Yeah, that that is really dumb, stupid. Yeah, I mean, you're just asking to get shot first yeah. of all. Yeah, but I just, I just, I, I was interested in your take. So why do you open carry? Uh, just for exactly that that purpose. But why not okay. concealed? too damn hot because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i'm a concealed guy i i well i'm no, afraid I, i'm afraid if it's out there somebody's gonna i'll be target number one well that, that's a possibility but you know i have a nice vest that that has inside pockets and, and bring out my Remington or my falcon i'm a 1911 guy are you and i, I ain't shoot with both hands <laughs> <laughs> so that's to it, when me and Michelle were in Boston a couple of weeks ago, we flew up there, so I couldn't take a gun with me. And we stayed right. and drove, and we went through Boston and right. all over up there. Right. And the only time that I was really wish I had would have had a gun was when we was at the hotel at nighttime right. in the room. And nothing ever happened. I never had any reason to be right. worried. But it was just like I was missing something because I'm used to having a gun just in case. And I hope I never have to use it, but I love having the security of knowing I can defend and protect us. Sure. I, I agree 100%. And and. Just, you know, I hope I never have to, but shit, look at all the weird shit going on. We just had a murder on the side of the highway on 277. Really? That, oh, yeah. Just uh, Sunday night, Saturday yeah. night, guy and his and his stepmom were traveling down two. I don't know if I'm supposed to talk about all this. I guess it, I can. Guy was traveling down 277, and he shot his stepmom three times in the head on the side of the road, took off all his clothes, went running across the field for about a mile. Went to through a tank, went up by somebody's bar, and the deputy got there, and then he shot himself. But what would have cost that guy? Walmart's ten miles down the road. What you know? What he could have walked into that new store in Haskell and just shot up the place. Sure, some bitch was fucking crazy. But I mean, shit like that didn't happen a long time ago. Very rare. Yeah. And it's an everyday occurrence now somewhere. Well, I'd, you know, with with uh, internet and social media, is is it might have happened before. And, right, just didn't travel we, as far. Uh, I mean, you, it was regional. you know, that's right. One person has a, a voice that can reach hundreds of millions yep. of people, and you know that's that's all it takes. We were we were at the hunting show this weekend. We were in the pool, and um, I was in the pool with the grandkids. And Zach said, "Hey, there's just been a murder suicide right outside between Weiner and Haskell." It's like what? And sure enough, there was. I mean, but it was instant, and there was people. And then at eleven o'clock at night, after I already knew what the story was, and way way early what all happened but 11 o'clock at night people were like do we need to you know is there a gunman wild people and one person says oh he's on the loose well shit everybody's new he's in their backyard they think it's charles manson and the gang are in the backyard it's dangerous right but people need to be informed and i don't blame them yeah and i think people need to be prepared i saw and i don't know if this is true or not a guy was live streaming on facebook during the el paso shooting didn't have it, didn't have his gun. Yeah. Why he did said, I leave it in the car? Instead of all days to leave it in the car, and this is what's going on. You can well, hear the I'm gunfire a, in the background. That's right. I, you know, honestly, I, I feel pretty safe in here. I didn't. <laughs> yeah, you're good here. <laughs> you got to watch Ron. <laughs> <laughs> Except you got me with my back to the door. <laughs> <laughs> I don't yeah. like to sit with my back to the door at all either. Yes. 
That's why we've got it situated like but this. You, Most times it's just us two. If I go in a restaurant and I see you sitting in there with the gun on your side, automatically I think, man, this is a place going to be a pretty safe place to be at. Right. I always feel that way. I went to a wreck not long ago out here, and I bet six firemen had open carry. I didn't know if it was all firemen or policemen there. Everybody had a gun on their side fighting a fire. Right. And that's just the t- way of the times. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, those guys, the the firefighters, they, they've got big issues. There's, I mean, there's people gunning for those cops. Yep. And yeah. I've told people here many times, if something happens at 911 and we need to something big problem, page out our fire department because they all got guns and they will come to help you. Right. Those guys will be the first ones to be there and they'll be there within three minutes. Right. And I'd much rather have somebody with a gun. The biggest argument that I think is the stupidest argument I mean out there is these people that argue, well, I don't want a bunch of crazy lunatics with guns trying to shoot the bad guy. Bullshit. I want everybody I know can shoot at that son of a bitch. Right. You know, stop him. Right. You know, because if there's nobody with a gun, he's going to just keep shooting and mowing everybody down. That's right. That's right. I mean, you know, somebody with a gun is a, is the biggest uh, deterrent to some right. of these crazies. Yep. I the think pl- they like soft targets, a place they're not going to get a whole lot of resistance. Uh, how many of uh, these shooters have you heard of going into a police station? And not, not a one. Yeah. None. Why? Yeah. Or a hunting lodge. Well, that's Or right. a redneck bar. <laughs> yeah, they're not picking on bikers. <laughs> they don't go in a gun store either. Well, that's, that's probably right. The gay nightclub was a soft target. They mowed right. that sucker down. You don't hear them going to a biker bar doing that shit. No, no, that's right. And, there's that, and that's the reason. It's a strange time we're living in. Yeah. Say, so, uh, I, I picked up on, you were, you were talking a little bit about some kind of event that you're going to have this fall about. The women. Uh, for Not, not just women, but just a, a shooting yeah, cl- course. A, a gun handling course. A gun maybe. handling. And it's not going to be anything that's going to be a CDL or a, a concealed carry class or anything. Right. Not CDL, a concealed carry. It's going to be for people to come out that have a gun, that they really don't know how to use it. Let people show you how to use it, show you a little bit of safety, and maybe it'll save your life one day. Right. I've been, been talking that up a little bit uh, at the coffee shop, and I didn't know when you were planning on doing that. Probably October 24th, that Saturday, is probably going to be the day we do it. We're going to do it late October right. before we get real busy, but I want to do it on Saturday. Have some guys come out and just show people just how to use their gun because there's a lot of people out there that got grandpa's gun in a closet they've never picked up. And there's especially women because I know a lot of women now that feel the need to gun. Single moms or single they they, they feel they don't want to have nobody really to ask. And then there's a lot of wives out there that, that just don't know how and their husbands really don't know how to use it. And get them out there and let them learn how to use their gun, shoot it a little bit, just where they'll be safe and not afraid to load a thing. Michelle is the world's worst about having a gun, but you don't have one in the chamber. Right. Well, you don't have time to put one in the chamber when right. you need it. You need to have it ready to shoot. Well, <laughs> she I'd, definitely wouldn't because she's not fluid with everything. Yeah. Right. She does, she's not real sure on how everything uh-huh. works. So <clears throat> if she was having to put one in the chamber, she'd really be in trouble. I think somebody that knows what they're doing might have a chance at putting one in the chamber, but, I mean, you should carry with one in the chamber, I think. The, uh, I heard a short quote that said, do you – how would you like to spend the rest of your life racking your pistol? Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> and it, yeah, it, it, all of a sudden, it's, you know. Bam. And, and that's done. it. Yeah. And that's it. Mine always has one in the chamber. Yeah. Ready to go. And I hope I never have to use it. But I haven't ever pulled mine. But if I pull mine, I'm probably going to be using it as a, I'm probably going to use it. I don't think I'm going to pull mine and start warning somebody. If I have to pull it, it's probably because I'm going to shoot you. Well, I I don't carry one in the chamber, but I'm proficient enough that I can right. I, I can rack it in in one 
a uh, breath. One one breath. Yeah. And you know that versus the the safety of the thing. My carry gun that I carry with me all the time has got the safety. We got to pull. You got to. I don't know. It's on the grip. You have to pull the grip and mm-hmm. the trigger. It's right. got like a double, right. a, a double trigger. I don't know what you call the thing. It's the same one you shooting. I think Andy. Yeah, but, it's just a dual safety. But we're like where the Glock don't have anything on it. You just pull. Right. You got to pull it a little bit. But right. that's what I want. But anyways, for women to come out or men, you know, hey, if you don't know how to use it, come out. We're sure you ain't nobody gonna make fun of you. We're gonna help you. You know, right. everybody needs right. to have it. And gun. that's another thing. There's not really anywhere around here that you could practice something like that. You could go out to the river and, and shoot, but I mean, there's really not any place where the average person could go and just kind of handle their weapon. Right. So this will this will be a good thing. I mean, I think I think. Well, I, I think it's ideal. You know, that's a, that's a great uh, public service. Yeah, and, and I think there's going to be a lot more of that because we're getting into a deal where we're, our country is split fifty fifty on guns and not guns, and we need to everybody needs to know how to use them I, I did see an interesting fact the other day they said if texas hunters with their guns are the number one armed army in the world well, I think just that's probably right just texas wisconsin's the fourth and pennsylvania is the eighth or something in the whole country but there's more people and that's one reason we we're not we're not speaking japanese from 1940s or one of the reasons why because they would have attacked the united states but they knew they would have had a battle sure every town people that they went into you know we wouldn't have had planes and bombs and shit, but you'd got your ass shot. Yeah. And it's a deterrent, and we as a country, we need to stand up. I sure. wonder if it would be that way today. Oh, I think it would be for the older guys. What scares me today are the young kids. The young kids don't have any patriotism, and the young kids don't have the... Grit. They don't have the grit for sure, and they just don't have... outside. When you get the outside of the country boys, the city boys, a lot of them just aren't gun kids, you know, unless it's a video game. And I, and I think the the video games have a big reason why we've had some mass shootings, too. I think they're – when that kid put on his earphones to go in that Walmart to shoot up them people. Hearing protection. The reality, to me, there for him was just Dumb. gone. Yeah. That was just a dead ringer for me that he did not freaking understand that death is death. Right. He, he thought he'd reset a game and push replay or some shit. I just that, – that, that was a red flag for me. Because most cases, he ain't going to survive anyway, so fucking ears ain't going to bother him one way or the other if they're working. Well, that's right. I'm, I agree with that. That's, I just, you know, I saw that, that picture and I thought, what what kind of nut is yeah, that? Right. Imagine seeing a fuck stick running through a damn Walmart parking lot with earphones on and a gun like a alarm. You know shit's fixing to happen. Yeah. I mean, fuck, run over him. Again, I'd rather tell the cops, hey, I thought he was fixing to shoot up the place. Sorry I ran over him and killed him, you know. But, yeah. but I didn't want another bad incident happening. Well, so. we'd, you know, we should have been in El Paso that day. Yep. Yeah, so, well, Roger, I appreciate you coming out. Okay. Very enjoyed it. Very interesting. Where can they go to the, it's in Abilene, Texas, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday of this week. That's right. Uh, the, uh, all the speeches and stuff is going to be on Thursday and Friday at the uh, MGM Elegante. Mm-hmm. And I think the at-door registration is like 75 bucks for the two days. And then on Wednesday afternoon, they're going to do a field uh uh, tour of the, I think it's the MKT Ranch that's 10 miles east of Breckenridge. They're going to have some master naturalists and, and some uh, wildlife biologists out there for primarily just a ranch tour and plant ID and stuff like that for people that want to do that uh, 
outdoor stuff. So if you've got some land and you want to put some quail in or you're interested in quail, it'd be a good place to meet some like-minded people and it would be a good time and be very informative. Absolutely. All yeah. right, Roger, thank you so much for being on here and we'll get you on here again next year talk about quail hunting. All right. Good, hey, good time, guys. Thank you, sir. Thanks, sir. Bye.